Morning. Man, it's great to see you guys. Um, did you know? Only 15 days until Christmas. 15. How many of you are saying, yes, 15 days? How many of you are going, oh no, 15 days? Both, yes. You know, uh, for many people, I think we, we have to acknowledge that Christmas for, the, for some people brings up feelings of warm nostalgia, right? I mean, it's like this picture on the screen. Does that make you feel good? You know, I looked for a lovely picture with a nice fireplace, a beautifully decorated tree, the mantle, the candles, the wreath. I mean, you know, and, and so how many of you like to slip into what I would call a yuletide fog? Just, you know, give me the music and the lights and the decorations and the movies, sipping, you know, slipping into that yuletide fog of innocence and contentment, right? Don't we like to be there? But I'm, so as we think about that, I want to know though, how many in the room would describe yourself as a Christmas lover? Christmas, oh, most of the crowd. All right, how many of you would call yourself a Christmas tolerator? Anybody willing? I see those hands. It's okay. I'm with you. Warren Brady, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. You and me. You know, yeah, it's easy to fall into one of those, right? It's just very easy because for me, it becomes about the stress. It's all the gifts, you know, you, I got seven kids and one of them's married now and there's boyfriends and girls. I mean, I'm, I'm buying for like 237 people. I mean, a dollar a piece, that's $237. I mean, Dollar Tree, Dollar General running out of stuff, you know, but it creates stress. And, you know, not only that, but then it's like the stress of receiving gifts sometimes. Anybody recognize that stress? You know, when someone gives you something and you have to look at them and go, I love it. Thank you. Remember as a kid, like I was like between probably seven and nine. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Went to my grandparents' house and we unwrapped gifts, you know, there. And there they were. What I'd always wanted, a pair of army green socks. Thank you. What a nine-year-old boy desires. You know, we go to bed dreaming about socks, you know. But I will say socks are at least an easy gift, you know, because sometimes if we're not careful, we can give gifts that end up costing people. Now, have you ever gotten one of those gifts before? A gift that just, you know, keeps on giving? I mean, I'm assuming that we're all decent people here and we would never, ever do that to somebody. But, you know, it's kind of like I was reading this week. There was a guy and he said he was given, a friend of his was give, gave him a Bahamas vacation. Now, I put this picture up here because it, you know, that's not, not an actual picture. Not an actual picture. But I'm just, this describes the vacation. So he talks about this vacation and, you know, he says, you know, this person, his friend, you, former friend at this point, I'm sure, got a great deal on this vacation. But then you see where this is going, right? Because the gift of a vacation didn't include airfare that he had to pay for. And then, of course, when he gets to this room, it was a terrible room, small room, not ocean view, you know, anything like that. And then it was going to be, you know, hours upon hours of well, since you're getting this room at a great deal, let us convince you why you need to buy into this, you know? As I said, that was probably a former friend. Yeah. Or what about this next gift that you'll see on the screen? Anybody been given one of these little gems? Yeah. It's all when it's at somebody else's house. Tell me about it. Um, my friend Hazel at my house, if you, some of you may have met Hazel, she was a pre-Christmas gift to our kids back in 2020. And don't get me wrong, we love her, 
But there are vet bills and groomer bills and food bills. My goodness, it's like having another teenager in the house. That dog is like 75 pounds. It's like good grief. And don't get me started on the lovely gifts that she likes to give back to us occasionally on the rug. I mean, and not only that, evidently she loves bread. Carrie loves to make sourdough every now and then. We made the mistake early on of putting it in a Ziploc bag and leaving it on the counter, only for me to come home for lunch to find an empty, ripped open Ziploc bag on the floor. We love Hazel. (laughs) Gift that keeps on giving. Or, and I hope nobody falls into this category, but what about this absurdity right here? Lexus, December to remember every year, right? I mean, can we just talk about exactly (laughs) what's wrong with that? I'm going to tell you what's wrong with that. That is a stupid commercial, is it not? I mean, it's like, can you imagine? I'm I'm just going to predict what would happen. I walk outside my house on Christmas Day, and my wife has a nice new Lexus wrapped up with a bow on top. We're going to need some marital intervention at that point. I mean, it's like I can keep thanking her every month for the next 72 months while I pay $900 a month. Thank you for this gift, right? I mean, I love the marketing people that think this is appropriate and right as if people go, oh yeah, a gift of a car would be amazing. Oh, shut up. It would not be. That's terrible. Would be terrible. You know, these aren't gifts you give to people you love, not even gifts you give to people you like. Now, why am I talking about this? Because when you think about the first Christmas, we often fall into that yuletide fog, don't we? Contentment and everything was perfect. And I mean, even when you look at that scene right there, Liz designs our graphics. Doesn't she do a great job? Isn't that beautiful? It just makes me, you know, want a cup of hot chocolate right now just to sip on as I look at it. And it's so calm and serene, so unlike the very first Christmas So unlike the days that led up to that very first Christmas, because as we started into this last week and we continue today, we find out that that first Christmas came with gifts, but they weren't gifts that weren't costly. In fact, they were, they came with great risk and great cost to the people. And uh, we see that even though we have the benefits of appreciating a Christmas with a roaring fire and that hot chocolate, you know, and watching the lights on the tree, they had to contend with the implications of what their gifts were going to cost them, how it was going to impact their lives. And with that came fear and anxiety. For us, when we think about Christmas, yeah, we want to stay here in the peaceful and the serene, but just curious, anybody read any headlines or social media posts this week that kind of got your heart rate up or a little fear or anxiety as you looked at it? I know I did. I mean, it just, it happens. It is a headline, a social media post, a news report, a phone call. I mean, any, any of those things can snap us back to reality. And unfortunately for us, fear and anxiety have almost become second nature to us, almost like breathing in, hadn't it? I mean, we talk about the anxiety in our kids and in us and all around us. So let's go back to that very first Christmas and look at another person in the Christmas story who, when they're greeted with this beautiful gift, the next thing that that they have to be told is, fear not, fear not. So we're gonna look at Mary today. Mary, we find her story in the Gospel of Luke. We start in chapter one, verse 26, and look at what we've got here. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is her cousin, 
Um, she was older in years, past childbearing age, but she had been had a visitation, or her husband had a visitation, and we didn't cover that one in the series, but Zechariah is greeted with an angel. He's told to fear not because they're going to have a kid, and their kid was going to be John the Baptist. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Now, this is the first time we're really introduced to this young girl that we assume is young, 12 to 14 most likely. You know, we know very little about her. We don't know that much. In fact, Luke tells us a few things about her that we need to be aware of. First is she's from a town called Nazareth. Um, Nazareth was a small insignificant, relatively unknown town. There was no claim to fame here. And in fact, it's possible that at this time, most of Luke's readers may not have even known where he was talking about. And what they did know, possibly know about Nazareth wasn't good. In fact, as Jesus is calling disciples, we know that one of the disciples is like, hey, come follow Jesus from Nazareth. And the response was Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. So you kind of, you understand that this isn't, she's not born, or she's not from a thriving metropolis, a well-known, good reputation place. Nope, from Nazareth. And uh, we see also here that it, we learn about her, as we knew from last week, she's engaged to a man named Joseph. He's a descendant of King David in the Old Testament, so we know that. And then we see that she's described as a virgin. And that's interesting, because that kind of causes some heartburn to some people when it comes to understanding the Christmas story is that was she really a virgin? Is this what it's all about? And I would say this, I don't think that Luke's intent is to teach us biology. I don't think that's the point. However, I also don't think we can jump to the other side and say, they're so hillbillyish back then. They're such bumpkins. They didn't understand science. Surely they didn't know what they were talking about. I mean, in an agrarian society, we have to understand. They understood the mating principles of animals. They knew where babies came from. And as we're going to read in just a moment, Mary even makes this claim about herself that she was a virgin. And so for some people, this becomes problematic. But is it? Should it be? I don't think so. I mean, really, we have to be pretty honest. This is not the most problematic part of our faith. I mean, we do ground our faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his coming again. There's a lot more things that can be problematic. We believe that God created all that is, and there may be discussion about how he did that, but we believe that God to be the source of all creation, and he created something from nothing. And why, if we believe God did that, do we believe it's impossible for him to create a baby in Mary's empty womb. As I've said, for whatever reason, I think Luke does intend to see this as a virgin birth. Why? Because I think when you put it next to the story we didn't read, if you go back in chapter one of Luke, you read the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and you understand there's a miracle taking place there. It's the miracle of a child being conceived to someone far beyond childbearing years. I think what Luke may be trying to do here is not solve a biological puzzle, but trying to show us that God is doing something even more miraculous. There's something more incredible about to take place, that God is going to overcome. With Elizabeth, he overcame infertility and older age, but now he's going to even overcome a greater obstacle, the lack of a man. And isn't that amazing? So those are the things we know about her at this point. Not too much. Let's keep reading. It says, the angel went to Mary 
and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. For he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, when you look at what troubled Mary, what was it that troubled her? It's not really what you think. Because I think we would assume, well, angels are scary things, and so she must have been fearful of an angel visit. That's not it. Well, she's just been told she's going to have a baby that's going to, you know, God's going to give her a baby, even though we'll read in a moment, she's never known a man. But really, we haven't got there yet. That's not what troubles her. Did you see what actually troubled her? It was the message, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, you are favored just means God is going to show his grace to you. Why do you think that that message was troubling? Why were those words something that caused fear in Mary? What do you think? It separates her from her peers. Sure. She's considered to be greater than, and that's really... It's frightening, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes we just want to fly under the radar, don't we? Yeah. We want to just, let me do my thing. I mean, think about it. You're married. You're 13 to 15 years old, however, and this was the cycle of life for young women at this time. She's got a guy that's engaged to be married. She's looking forward to the wedding. She's looking forward to having kids. That's not even a thing. She's like, but all in due season, right? To set up house, to become a wife and a mother and all these things. This is, ladies, I'm sorry, this was the height of what you got to look forward to in life back then. But for a young girl, this would be it. And this would be, this would be the thing. And then you have an angel visit you. An angel, which is just a messenger from God, come in and say, you are highly favored. I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, I might sit and think, who, me? Me? You, you got the wrong house. You need to go down the street a little bit. I'm a nobody from nowhere. Why in the world would God possibly show grace to me? That would be my thoughts, and I assume that's probably what Mary's thinking as well. But isn't that exactly the point? Isn't that exactly how God usually does stuff? To be favored does not mean privileged in terms of money or power. It doesn't mean that she is sinless. It doesn't mean that she, you know, has done something to merit God's favor. It doesn't depend upon her sinlessness, her worthiness, or her talent. God has just chosen her because that's what God does. Maybe this language bothers her because she's heard the stories. I mean, if she grew up listening to the stories of the Torah, of the Old Testament, of the things, of the, the stories of the great men of faith, what happened with those individuals? They had God's favor, didn't they? God said, I will be with you to people like Noah and Gideon and Hannah and David and Moses and Jacob and Abraham. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I want my name put in that list. Those are giants of the faith. Father Abraham, the father of them all, is what they would believe. And God was with him and God showed him favor. And how are you equating me to Abraham? 
And not only that, I know what you asked those people to do. I know what, what Abraham had to pick up and leave the life that he knew, the family that he knew, to go somewhere that he didn't know. Moses was called to step into the court of Pharaoh and say, God has said, let my people go. And he had to walk with those complaining, grumbling group of people for 40 years, all because God visited him and said, I'll be with you. I don't know. Looking at it that way, maybe those 11 words that the angel spoke to Mary carry a lot more weight and impact than we might think. Maybe we would see these words as troubling as well to be put in that same category with some of those giants of the Jewish faith. Well, as you can imagine, Mary hearing these words might raise some questions. Let's keep going. Mary says, how will this be? She asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no, no word from God will ever fail. I mean, I don't know about you, but as, are you picking up on the language of the angel here? Things like the Most High, the Son of God. I mean, not necessarily words you think are going to be comforting, right? It's okay. The Son of God will come from you. Wait, whoa, whoa, what? It's Let's just be real. Having a child is hard enough. There are questions, there are difficulties that come with parenting children. And now you're telling me that I'm going to have to parent, to deliver, to mother the most high, the son of God, this baby. And not only that, just to get over this idea that the son of God is coming as a human. I mean, in this time with the Greek gods and Greek mythology, humans did, uh, gods didn't do this. Gods don't stoop down to the level of humanity. That's humiliating. What are you trying to tell me? But that's what God is telling her. The Son of God is coming. What I love is that even though she questions, she's not rebuked. It's an interesting contrast because if you go back and read about Zechariah when he's, when he's told that they will have a child, he asks some questions too. And he's mute until the birth of the baby. Mary asked questions. There must have been something about the way she's asking. With an open mind, not a refusal, not a refuting, just looking for understanding. And nothing about this gets easier for Mary. Nothing about it. When she hears how, the Holy Spirit will move on her. She'll be overshadowed by divine power. Kind of get images, reflections of Genesis in this. Genesis 1, 2, when the Spirit of God hovered over the void and the water, you know, we kind of get that idea of this is what's going to happen with Mary. God himself, the creator, will surround her with his sovereign power. And this isn't some crude or lewd sexual encounter like you hear about with Greek mythology. N.T. Wright says this, he says, God's power from the outside and the indwelling of the spirit within together result in things being done which would have been unthinkable in any other way. A miracle is about to happen. And isn't that great? I mean, Mary asks a question, and the angel responds, and all is good. All of her questions are answered. No. <laughs> no. All of her questions aren't answered. We don't get to look at this and go, well, now Mary has nothing to worry about. It's all good from here. No. 
As we discussed with Joseph last week, Mary is also looking at incredible hardship if she says yes. There's incredible risk to her if she leans into this. I mean, we talked about last week, an unexplained pregnancy could be punishable by death under Jewish law. It could mean the end of her engagement. Joseph, we know he thought about it. We know that was the direction he was leaning. She doesn't know at this point how he's going to respond. This is going to absolutely destroy her reputation. It's absolutely going to bring shame upon her and Joseph and her family. Not, not, not to mention the next nine months that are just going to be glorious, or so I've heard, easy just no problems, nothing to worry about? No, exactly. I mean, can you imagine wondering who's going to be here for me? Her family? They could put her out. Joseph, he's thinking about divorce anyway. She could be looking at a pregnancy and delivery and single motherhood. The swollen feet, the backaches, all the pressure on your bladder to need to go to the bathroom all the time. Yep, the Son of God did that to Mary. And she has a decision to make here, a decision that's going to be incredibly risky. And she's got some choices, doesn't she? She could fight him. She could fight back and say, no, 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 you've got the wrong person. But she doesn't. She could also try to bargain with God. That'd be an interesting thing, wouldn't it? I mean, I think we try to do that sometimes. Okay, God, that's fine. I'll carry the son of God, but you've got to do this for me. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? But we kind of approach God like that sometimes. She could just do nothing. She could be like, I'm paralyzed by fear. But what's amazing about Mary is I would guess, guess that she doesn't know 5% of the things that she probably needs to know or she wants to know. But she doesn't need anything else in her understanding. Look at how she responds. Luke 1.38. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled, may word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. With her head spinning, probably filled with questions, uncertain about what all this meant, Mary's response to Gabriel is with just a simple and profound yes. Here I am. Isn't there such beauty in that? Such beauty in her answer. I was reading this week, there's an author and pastor named Adam Hamilton. Here's what he wrote. He said, her assent, her yes, set in motion the mystery of the incarnation. As a consequence of her willingness, Mary's own body knit together the Messiah. It was her blood that carried nutrients to the child. It was her tender words, spoken and sung as mothers do to their children in their wombs, that quieted and comforted him. For nine months, divinity resided within her womb. He continues and he says, When Mary finally gave birth to Jesus and suckled him, the Son of God was fed and sustained by the milk from her breast. She tenderly held him. She changed his diapers and bathed him and sang him to sleep. She taught him and instilled in him faith in his heavenly Father. She feared for him, cried for him, and more than anything, loved him. And 33 years after his birth, she stood by and wept as her son died on a Roman cross. Isn't that beautiful? Wow, what beauty. And don't miss how her words of affirmation to receive God's favor resemble something we see later in the life of Jesus when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Because as Mary asks the questions and says, you know, how have I found favor? Her response is, may your word to me be fulfilled. And what did Jesus say when he was in the garden? Yet not as I will, but as you will. A full circle moment, something modeled for, by his mother as he sat there contemplating his death. You know, as you read the encounters of Mary and Joseph, they were fearful. They were invited to join God's incredible work of reconciliation in the world, and they weren't given all the answers. They were given clues, though, weren't they? I mean, there were a lot of things that might cause a little heartburn in what the angel said, but just look how, this, how the, the child is described. The son of the Most High, given the throne of his father David, he will reign, his kingdom will never end. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds a little bit like royal language to me. A king is coming, and Mary's going to give birth to the king. You think this might ruffle some feathers? We know it did, because why else would Herod try so desperately to kill every child under the age of two? That, because he saw this as a threat. And he's, we're told that they would name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. Can you imagine the questions running through their minds? I mean, good grief. When you get pregnant, when you're starting to look at being a parent, you've got a million questions already, don't you? Parenting is just an endless cycle of questions. Questioning yourself, am I doing this right? Can you imagine having those same expectations with the Son of God? And yet Mary and Joseph both said yes. They leaned in. They took the risk at great risk to themselves. You have found favor with God. Such a powerful phrase, isn't it? Struck a little bit of fear in Mary's heart. But as I thought about those words this week, I thought, you know, what comes after those words in this story really isn't what we expect. It's more like that gift of a car or that gift of a dog. It's like that gift that just keeps on giving, that gift that ends up being costly. See, we hear those words, you have found favor with God, and we assume, well, awesome. Good things are coming my way. That means a good job and a good salary and good health and a perfect family and status in my community and people looking up to me. And well, at least that's what the TV preachers tell us. You see any of that in Mary's story? No. The favor of God does not look like what we have tried to tell people it looks like today. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And I can't help but wonder if there's a disconnect between what we see being favored by God means versus what, what it actually is. We've kind of distorted it a little bit, haven't we? Why? Because we want it to make sense. We want to make following Jesus appealing. So we tell people, it's easy. Just come on. No trouble. That's not Mary's experience, is it? You found favor with God, Mary, and it's going to change the course of the rest of your life. I think God says that to us too, but are we willing, like Mary, to say yes? We get to that moment where we're faced with that decision. We realize, oh, we found favor with God, God's grace, and it's not logical, and it's not rational, and it's not easy. And we look and it requires us a leap to make a leap to faith, doesn't it? Following Jesus always requires risk. 
risk to our dreams and desires. I mean, sure, Mary wanted kids. That's what all young women back then would have wanted, but not like this. Often God's call to us doesn't come when we expect it, how we expect it, and the, uh, where we expect it. And it may be difficult, and it may be frightening, but the favor of God always comes with the presence of God. Isn't that amazing? And so it leaves us to like enter a place of what we want more. Comfort, <laughs> the stuff we want, or the favor of God, which may be risky, may be difficult, but also includes the presence of God. And we can't confuse ourselves here. Sometimes we think the favor of God comes on us because we're so special. You are special, I'll tell you that, you are special. But not special enough to merit what God does for us. That teeters on religiosity, doesn't it? God, I've done this, you owe me. You owe me, God. No, the favor of God is the grace of God given by God because he wants to. Lavishly poured on us, freely given to us. And it leaves us with that question of how will we respond? You think about Mary's response. She was the first person to hear the good news. Isn't that amazing? She was the first one. She was the first evangelist because from that moment we read that she goes to visit Elizabeth and the, John, the, John and Elizabeth's womb jump when Mary enters the room. And so you have this first moment of evangelism and her telling the gospel story. Isn't that amazing? And she does that because she overcomes her fears and questions and she trusts God enough to say yes. Are we willing to say yes? Are we willing to say yes? You see, Mary said yes, regardless of the difficulty and pain. Didn't matter how much she had to endure because she was told, whether it was on the mountaintop or going through the darkest valley, that God was with her. Are we willing to say yes to God? Are we willing to say yes when his favor comes to us and we don't understand what it looks like or how we'll experience it? but knowing we get to be with God in the process. Let's pray.